we thought more about sort of comprehensive resources, guides, research projects, that kind of stuff. Cause that just becomes, it, it does like it'll, it'll suck you in as a cadence and it'll suck you in as like, Oh my gosh, we haven't published anything on the blog for like three months or like, Oh, we should publish this because just three weeks ago we published a similar thing when in reality, no, almost nobody's consuming your blog that way. They're all finding it probably through search or through an email. Nobody knows how often you publish one. Nobody knows what you published three weeks ago. But they become these things that influence our decisions often in a bad way when it comes to sort of strategic cho- choices and kind of push us away from things that otherwise might be most beneficial. This episode of The Matt Report is brought to you by Food Plugins, more specifically, Food Plugins Foo Gallery. You can find it at foo.gallery. There's a new pro commerce plan, and it gives you two way integration into WooCommerce. So if you want to sell photos, you can sell photos with foo.gallery and WooCommerce. It makes your job super easy, especially if you're a photographer. I just had family photos taken the other day, and I looked at the big conglomerate website that my photographer sent me. I said, man, it would look so much better if you sold it right through WooCommerce, especially if you use something like Foo Gallery. Check out foo.gallery and learn more about their pro commerce plan. Check out their WooCommerce integration. They have a great way to watermark and protect your photo galleries. Check them out and thank them for sponsoring the show. It's foo.gallery. Go to foo.gallery today. Start selling images with Foo Gallery and WooCommerce. I mentor at a local business accelerator for sustainable startups that have a community impact. Small, no, tiny startups that are just getting out of the idea phase. More often than not, this is the founder's first leap into running a business. About six weeks into this 12-week program, I teach a class on web and marketing. By this point, the founder is drowning in information overload. Asking them to learn WordPress is already a massive order. Getting them to understand SEO and content? Well, they are just not ready. Today's guest, Derek Gleason, has something to say about that. As someone who has worked with the early days of Conversion XL and now creating content at Shopify, he's witnessed the gamut of content and SEO. We recorded this conversation a while ago, which was about a month or two removed from when he and I originally booked our conversation, so some of the current events might sound a little outdated when you listen to this. This is The Matt Report, a podcast for the resilient business builder. I've launched something new, you might have heard, called the WP Minute, and you can join as a member to get into our private Discord server and take part in crafting the weekly WordPress news. Check out buymeacoffee.com slash Report to join, and thanks to Foo Plugins Foo Gallery for sponsoring my work. Okay, on to my conversation with Derek. I kind of came in through the back door originally. I, I used to edit encyclopedias back in the day, which was just content without them. And then, yeah, CXL was really where I got started, seriously with content marketing. And, and there I had the advantage for sure of jumping into a program that wasn't, that had been started from scratch and had been started as basically a one-person shop of somebody logging their way into a business. But I kind of came in after I'd been there for a decade with all the benefits of coming in with somewhere with a history. It did have a lot of structure in place, but it certainly had a lot of history and a lot of lessons to kind of walk in the door with. That's definitely one of those Cinderella stories because I remember first discovering the concept of content marketing or when I took blogging and just you know content research more serious is when I came across that property. Mm-hmm. And that was one that you, you see so many other people like Copy Blogger, who, who's Brian Clark, who's been on the show before. These types of folks and brands that started with just, I don't know, I'm going to start a blog. And suddenly mm-hmm. it becomes like this, this mega movement of not only just building an audience, but just a, a huge place to go to learn and understand and, and just be better at something. Conversion XL, anyway, was the one that 
I used to go to every single day to just absorb this stuff. I still do, but I used to go and absorb this stuff. How much of that did you take to, or how much of that starting out in that business, a little bit of structure, early days of content marketing, how did that really shape where you went next and where you are today, that sort of environment? Sure. So one of the great things about that, that sort of makes CXL what it what it is, is that it started out, it very much was driven by Pep's kind of natural curiosity. So he was like really digging in and citing a lot of sources that other people weren't bothering to find because he was naturally curious of like this baseline statistic of the, your email subject line should be X number of characters long. Like who came up with that? Where did that come from? Because often you find that they're these really bad or, or small or dated studies. So he had really built that. And then he had his own kind of tone, this somewhat brash, like, I don't care tone to things that work. So I think kind of right in the door, you realize for one, there are always people that it's like, oh, you got to be true to yourself. You got to find your own voice. And that's true. It's just, you may have to accept that like, your own voice isn't marketable or isn't a great product for a blog, which I would I would say about my own. Like I, at CXL, I got a whole lot better. It's my default mode is to provide a lot of context and think almost academically about things. And Pep is like, I don't care. Just tell me what I need to do to get better. And so Pep is like constantly bringing you back to that and, and focusing on, okay, so what? what? How does this affect me? Like, where's an example of this in the real world? Is this just a best practice? Has anybody actually done this? But those questions tend to resonate in your head. And I think ultimately, especially if you're, if you're staying in the B2B space, that's what people really care about. Like, yes, they love to have context. Yes, they love really sometimes like nerding out or going down a rabbit hole. But you also have to keep top of mind that people are busy. Nobody really has time for your introduction. Nobody really has time or cares about your metaphor. They would rather just know like, can I do this thing today that will make me more successful tomorrow? That will make my life easier. And so then you kind of build around that. Like you figure out like, okay, like at the same time, I do want to have a unique voice. I don't just want to be really dry, boring stuff. But how do you find a voice or tone that makes that transmission, that information more efficient and more enjoyable versus being an added layer. And for Pep, like his matter of fact way of speaking made sure that it was like really tight prose. And the fact that he had that kind of unique, I don't care tone made it somewhat like funny at times to read without being like this added layer of, oh, wait till you read this 200 word introduction I've written. That's very self-indulgent that I think you're going to take the time to enjoy. And I, I bring that up because, I, as I just mentioned at the top of the show, you transition jobs. When we chatted a couple months ago, I think, mm -hmm. for our pre-interview, you were at a, a business called Workshop Digital. You're now making the transition. You haven't even started yet, so I can't even ask you what it's like. But you're, you're going to work at a place that a few of us know called Shop, and especially in the WordPress world, and especially in the WooCommerce world, it is the competition right, to e-commerce and stuff like that. But I'm curious to how you leapfrog these environments. And you mentioned earlier that, look, the same thing I'm, I'm doing at Workshop Digital or even CXL is not going to be the same thing, content marketing-wise. It's not going to be the same thing that is going to be useful at Shopify. Can you illustrate what that looks like? Because I think a lot of people who are starting, let's say, their side hustle, mm -hmm. look at content marketing, and they, they might even look at Shopify, and they say, geez, how do I do all of this in yep. my tiny little world of a small WordPress plugin. How do I compete with that? Can you illustrate what the mindset should be like when somebody's uh, approaching content marketing at a small level? Sure. And those are, that's for me, that's part of what's been the interesting challenge of all these things that these different kinds of roles have different challenges to work on. So at CXL, it was, it was an established blog where we knew that from an acquisition standpoint, visitors translate into leads, which translate into sales. Like even like rough as that is, that was to some degree truth. For us. And so the incentives basically then became, can you maintain the quality of the blog while increasing publishing frequency or decreasing the cost to publish? And ultimately knowing that 
it's going to be keyword targeted stuff that's going to make the difference. So that's that's one type of content. You're going to be basically answering questions that people already have. It's going to be a lot of instructional, a lot of how-to content. At the same time, it was still an SMB. So we ran up into these limitations on development or design resources where it was like, okay, like the great part was people knew CXL where I could reach out in a cold email and get a lot of responses. I could get people to talk to me. But it was somewhat, you were doing kind of the best version of something, but it was it was straightforward. That was very different at Workshop. So Workshop, again, small business, 30 people, but it's an agency. So all of a sudden you're in a place where, you know, A, we don't have the resources to push out a thousand blog posts where all of a sudden we can kind of like dominate a whole space. But that's one way to generate brand awareness is like you're everywhere. People just know you because you're everywhere, like in the way that people might know Moz or Ahrefs, which makes sense for a SaaS tool because they need that brand awareness to attract new users, get new trial starts. They want to be everywhere. For us, for people that in the content marketing space that may be familiar with the agency animals with a Z at the end, I'm not sure if, if you are, but like they've gone the total opposite approach, which is basically where you are an agency, which is you need to differentiate yourself, but you're a service. So nobody can see your product. Nobody can really see by consuming your website or like doing a free trial what it's like to work with you. So you're more in that like thought leadership where who the hell cares if it's a keyword target? Like this is our perspective. Like we need to get a strong opinion into this. We need to get something that people aren't talking about yet. And do that kind of stuff. And so that with with workshop, maybe also paired with research is what you're thinking about if you're in that service business, because you need something that's going to like generate, turn heads, make waves. And that's very specific to service. Like if your side hustle is a SaaS business, maybe you can still get away with keyword targeted stuff. You just have to start at a more niche level because you can't rank for big head terms. Now you flip that to what something like Shopify is, where you're looking at millions of visitors a month. You're looking at a company that success is, you're not, there is no such thing as a one, one-off success. Like there is no single blog post that's going to make a difference. And to be honest, like even at a smaller scale, like CXL, we realized that like we had stuff that would make it to the top of Hacker News. Okay. You have like 20,000 visitors on the site right now. And then tomorrow it's back to, it's back to regular, back to everyday business. And it's like ultimately over say 12 to 18 months, if you had something that was ranking for a keyword with a thousand monthly searches, you know, that was probably equally or more valuable over the long term than this thing making the hacker news. So I think that's you know, that's some of it like it depends. A, can people actually experience your product? Is that where you're going to differentiate? And you just need to generate awareness with content marketing. Like as long as we're out there and people see our name, that's going to give us a chance down the road for them to experience the product by using it. That can lead you toward that. And even if you're starting out like and you're thinking, okay, should we be doing some kind of weekly keyword targeting blog post or should we be trying to do this like thought leadership stuff versus if you are that service business or you're a consultant, it's like, you're going to have to you have to communicate how you're different by the way that you think and the way that you communicate those thoughts on paper. There's very different challenges. Yeah. And, and not surprisingly, it's kind of fun to bounce from one to the next. Let's bring this flight down uh, a few thousand feet. One of the things I haven't talked about this in a while, but as you were talking, it really jogged my memory. I'm a mentor at a local ex- business accelerator or startup accelerator here in, the, in my local area. It's a small accelerator. It's for sustainable business. Very much like mom and pop, not like tech startups, although there are some, mm-hmm. but more mom and pop people trying to get small businesses off the ground, restaurants, smoothie shops, nonprofits, things like that. And I am just fearful for the, wor- the world that they're approaching in trying to get into content marketing because mm-hmm. they're like, what do I do? And I'm just like, you obviously, let's get your foundation. Let's get your website up and let's get an email list so that people can at least sign up and you can reach out to them immediately. And now let's talk about generating content, right? <laughs> what do we want to do? Blog posts, newsletters, videos, podcasts, mm-hmm. Instagram stories, social media, everything. Like, where do they begin? I feel right. like they are just at a, such a disadvantage because of how technical and how competitive the landscape is. Do you have any thoughts around the small business person who can 
barely get a blog post out a month and how they can really compete online these days? Sure. I, I do think there's some optimism in that from, from a purely thinking about it from a search perspective, like right now, for most of us, we think about the things you might want to rank for and, and you're a small fish. That's my whole life has been in small businesses. So I feel this pain. This is not shopifying me a new experience for me. Historically, it's been like you look at a search result you want to be in. It's like, oh, everybody in there is this massive website. What am I going to do? Google increasingly is showing its ability to surface some niche providers of things like some people. It's like, OK, you're, you know, domain authority, you know, the number of links that are pointing your website are not nearly as much as these other ones. But we know that like this is the thing that so often the temptation is when you start like and you're a small business, you want to talk about the big things that everybody else is also already talking about. Most of the success that I've seen is find your little like your little rabbit hole that you want to go down, stay there, write about it 10, 20 times. And A, you're going to catch some of that really high intent, long tail traffic. So people that are running really specific queries, not in volume, but in, in, in terms of intent and getting really high quality visitors to your site. What you also do at the same time is you really build that kind of that, that gravity in search where search engines understand like, hey, this is the thing that you really, really know well, and therefore we're going to show you some of this. And, and a, a good example that I have for this is years ago, we had a client who they had a few urgent care, uh, pediatric urgent care centers. And so like in theory, you could think like, okay, the blue sky content marketing approach, they should be talking about childhood nutrition. They should be talking about safety. They should be talking about like not overheating in the summer. But the reality is WebMD can talk about that. Mayo Clinic can talk about that. Like anybody can talk about that. So working with them, it was, what is sort of the narrowest expertise that you have? What is that one thing that you can really own, that center of gravity? And for them, what it was, was everybody who started this practice used to be an ER physician. And so they realized that they had a really good understanding of when something happens to your kid, can, should you go to the ER or should you go to urgent care? Like where, where's that decision point? For a parent, obviously that's super relevant too. Like your kid falls out of a tree or whatever. It's like, okay, they might've broken their arm. Like, where do I go? And so they were really good at parsing like what those things were. And it's like, once we started with this is your expertise, then we wanted to keyword research and figure out, okay, how are people asking and talking about this? Not let's do keyword research first and figure out where we're generally relevant. And what it ended up being was things like, when is a fever dangerous? Can you get x-rays? Can you get stitches at urgent care? And they ended up on page one with like WebMD and these other ones, even though tiny website, not well known, anything else, they did it because they had this real focus. It was like 10 or 12 core questions. And the second component of that, especially when you're starting out, is if you start with that really narrow perspective, with those 10 or 12 articles that you want to write and own or these little tiny things that you should own, it's much easier then to branch out and perhaps search engines to understand, okay, this is what the website's about. This is their expertise. Now I'm also going to give them credit for some tangential things. Then to say, we're doing random posts one month to the next and hope that somehow search engines figure out that the one you did on month five is the one that you really own and should care about. And, and the last little point that I, I sort of throw into this is, Sort of the temptation with that keyword targeted strategy is you think, okay, like I need to write about a new topic every week because I've already covered this. And when we think about expertise, experts are people who hammer home like the same thing over and over again from different angles, different tangents, all that kind of stuff. So there's no way that you're going to tell me this is your expertise and you wrote about it once. It's like, right. what is that thing that you could write about from a different perspective over and over again? Start there, spend a year just crushing that, and then look back after a year and figure out where you want to go next. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, as, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking, like, I think of my, I have this concept that I've, that I've actually blogged about, funnily enough, called the blue collar digital worker, right? Somebody who is just rolling up their sleeves, trying to learn how to code, put together a good digital product. And, and generally, in my case, it's a WordPress website, some marketing tools, and and just doing a good job and handing it to somebody else and getting paid to do it, not underpaid, not over, getting overpaid. But I feel I'm, I'm the same way with like content. Like I'm like this blue collar content creator mm -hmm. where I'm just like, 
I just create the content. I don't sit down and I don't strategize. I don't even look at the keywords. I don't even look at my analytics. I just continue to create content kind of blindly. I don't know if that's good or bad. And I don't even know if I have a real question here, but what you were saying about just like hitting one topic at a million different angles, I feel like that's what I've been doing for nine years around like WordPress businesses and now going into like no code businesses and things like that. Maybe what it distills down to is people who are just, if you're just passionate about something, at least try to just keep get, even though that word passion is just overused, just keep getting that content out there, I guess, as much as you can. Although I did hear you say, definitely have some kind of strategic approach to it because you want to be able to measure a goal. And I'm my own worst enemy with that stuff. I'm sure there's a lot of other people who are too, with not measuring a goal and not looking at the stuff scientifically, I guess, for lack of a better word. It certainly cuts both ways, right? Like that's part of the problem in a lot of modern content marketing is that people are spending their whole time in keyword research tools. They're not thinking all of, at all about really developing an expertise and showcasing that. But it kind of depends on, you know, what the goals are. It's like, if you can do scattershot stuff, or you can just hone it on your passion and say, I'm able to build a distribution channel with this, because this is ultimately the goal, right? Like, you don't have to care about keyword targeted stuff so much if you have 5,000 super hot customers, or even 100, like whatever it is, like 50, like however many you need to get started. Like, that's the goal is if you can build a distribution channel, then you get some editorial freedom. And there's always a limitation with search where you're going to get stuck looking back at keyword research and there's gonna be this tension where it's gonna probably like pull you away from your passion a little bit because you get tempted by this other topic that's like maybe this isn't what I really want to write about or should write about, but gosh, it can sure make a nice up into the right analytics. So you know I, it works both ways. Like it's you would be the person to answer like if if your approach has been able to build the business that you wanted out of it, then yeah, like you've probably benefited from the fact that you haven't been tempted to go all these other directions. A keyword research tool might point you to because focusing on your passion, living in that has also probably helped differentiate you from other people that are in the same business, but everybody else is living in those tools. Cause it's like, everybody's using the same keyword research tools. So it's like, if you, if you have 10 competitors all in the same space and you're all looking at the same research and you're all producing the same stuff, but you can't expect that the end result is going to be something that's going to separate you from, from those you're looking at competing yeah. against. What, what's your thoughts on the alternative to creating content? I, I'll use my thought process and these are not your words, but the, the comparison organic content or just creating content versus if I'm not going to get my traffic over there, I guess I have to just go buy my traffic. <laughs> so what, what are your thoughts mm. on the paid acquisition of traffic versus the organic search uh, rankings? Are you like, nah, man, I'm all about content. Like that's where you should go. Never look <laughs> at paid acquisition or do you look at that, that channel differently? It's great. Like I, I think about it in terms of the different distribution channels give you those different editorial choices. So like email lets you write whatever the heck you want and you get people to open it. Like I is, it's not even a side hustle. It's just like a a side project I like to do. I send out literally a print newsletter, like maybe once a quarter to random people who signed up for it. I can do whatever the hell I want because it's print. Like it does not matter. Like, and people are probably going to read it because how many print pieces of paper do they get in the mail? So that joy, like the benefit of that is I get to do something very different than I could do anywhere else because not only am I free from all the the limitations, but I'm also free from all the measurement. Like I get zero feedback on like where they stop scrolling. So that's, is that good? Is that bad? Like a little bit of both probably, right? But you look for that. So I think you can think about what's the benefit of like paid is great if you need to get something bottom of funnel in front of people. Like if, if you have, say it's an informational white paper or something, but it also pitches your product or like it talks about your product as a potential solution, that's going to be harder to get in front of people organically perhaps, but maybe you can get in front or like, or maybe you're doing like an ABM account-based marketing strategy and there's this one company that you want to go after. 
hate can be great to get right in front of those people. So it's to me, it's all about figuring out based on the 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 cost of creating this content, what kind of distribution channels we're going to need to generate value from that. And there's time where paid makes a lot of sense for that, especially depending on like how specific it is a good example when I was even though it was a leaflet workshop. On, the, on my second tour there, we were working on a, a research part. It's not published yet, but it focuses on businesses in the state of Virginia because from a service-based standpoint, we're already kind of known there. So it was like, we have a foot in the door there where if somebody reads you know, this thing and it's just nationally and they don't have a clue who we are, they might download it, but they're probably not going to answer a call from us. But in Virginia, it's like, oh yeah, I've actually heard of those people. But from a, pr- a distribution perspective, there's no real like search for people looking for there's not a lot of search for people looking for Virginia-based businesses, but that's like perfect to go into LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever else. Cause like super easy to filter that. Like we can get right in front of people in Virginia, even like limiting by the kind of company that's the ideal profile for us. So it's definitely not either or I doubt, I doubt you think that way either, but I think maybe the way to think about it or the way to try to decide is when is this distribution channel and what it offers us super valuable and something that we can't get access to in, in another pathway. Yeah. Yeah. I think for the small businesses, again, this comes up a lot in, in the accelerator. There's always like a dozen to about 18 or so businesses, every cohort. And it's like the, a lot of these folks are like, well, how, how do I just get people? We, a bunch of people who are in this, this recent cohort have, they're selling, uh, some people are selling like hot sauce. They're selling and all these are like little w- widgets that are kind of like locally grown and yada, yada, yada so is unimportant, but they're mm-hmm. selling stuff. It's e-commerce, most of them on Shopify. And they're, they're like, how do I get traffic to the site? And in my, in my gut, I'm like, I know you don't have like a 5,000, I know you don't have a, a minimum of $5,000 budget to even do, to, to pay somebody to create content, let alone you figure out how to do ads yep. to get people to, to your site and to buy. So I'm always of the mindset of like, look, hit the streets, roll up your sleeves, blog, email, and social as as much as you can, as well as you can without losing your mind. And that's generally for the beginner, like, ah, man, if you can avoid having to spend that money, because for a lot of these people, it's it's just a, it's just a lottery ticket because they don't understand the platforms. They don't understand how to make an ad. They don't understand how to measure it. They don't know what to turn it off. And I think that's mm-hmm. a particular challenge too, because that's a skill set. It's a, it's a, it's an industry, <laughs> not just a skill set. Yeah. Well, and especially depending on like what you're expecting people to do, you know, if you're, yeah. if you're an agency looking at five figure retainers, like nobody's going to click your ad and be like, oh yeah, I'll, let me sign on the dotted line real quick for a 12 month <laughs> retainer. Um, so if you're selling hot sauce, maybe, but email is great. Like one of the things I love about email is that it doesn't, a lot of search focused content, not that it has to be, but it tends to be longer form stuff to compete a lot of times, which is just more expensive to produce. In, in search, you don't get any benefit for having a tone. Maybe one day Google will, will reward it. But right now, like if you're clever, if you're funny, if you're if you're your thing's better written than the average person, you're not really going to get benefits from that. And email, you get all sorts of benefits for that. So it's like you have this captive audience um, that kind of it, it's going to encourage you to be more you to develop a brand tone there, and then to maybe figure out how to use that elsewhere. I mean, I, like hot sauce, I'm already thinking, man, like probably great fodder for like video content with people, you know, using the, how many videos are there of like people like trying super hot things. Like yeah, you know, some, yeah. some obviously translate better than others. I I had a, a local organization here that I was volunteering with that does like training to help kids uh, learn how to interact with dogs. And it's like, you're already in the pet space, like for content, <laughs> like nothing could be easier. Like you know how easy, easy Instagram is when you just like put pictures of dogs up compared yeah. to like you sell digital marketing services. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like, like, so there are, there are definitely like some places of inertia depending on what it is that you're trying to sell. If you're in the SaaS space, like good luck on Instagram, but you're going to have places benefits elsewhere like or the fact again going back to some of the original thought of if you have a product that people can actually try 
content marketing maybe becomes a bit more about awareness to get people to that point of trial versus when you're a service-based business and that content also really has to communicate that differentiation, which usually means more expensive content or content that requires a little more complex thought about how to get it in front of people. Yeah. Maybe every SaaS business should have like a doggy daycare on the side, right? <laughs> that way they have like content for like Instagram and then, oh, by the way, buy our booking tool, right? <laughs> At the same time. Yeah, exactly. Right. I'm curious your thoughts. You, I used to run a small print tourism guide, again, for my local area. You know, mm-hmm. what it's what is brought to me in your in your talks about your printed piece is the same thing with podcasting. It's a very difficult world to know like what the ROI is for a podcast. Now I work at a mm-hmm. podcast hosting company as my day job. I help people get their podcasts off the ground. And a lot of them are just starting out with either, hey, I just want to grow awareness about my brand or I want to become like the next Joe Rogan or just somebody who's making lots and lots of money with podcasting, which is a very difficult hill to climb. The ROI mm-hmm. on podcasting is very challenging to measure because it just opens up that opportunity to things you've never had the chance to to have before either conversations with people or somebody hits you up for a, a, a gig that you never thought you'd be a part of or to be included somewhere mm-hmm. in some you know other blog post or something like that podcasting i find is very challenging to know what the long-term roi is although it's there it's all i can say <laughs> this is there mm-hmm. if you keep it going yeah. does has audio has audio let's just stick with audio has audio worked into any of your any of your travels as as a cornerstone piece of content with your customers? Yeah, I, I don't have a ton of uh, experience in audio. I, I have some, but it was one of those things that was the challenge that CXL, we talked about it, Pep is starting a, a podcast now, but at that point it was always like, okay, it was this thing that we had, it would be this whole separate thing that we had to do and promote on top of what we already had. So that was one of the things too. I mean, even just thinking generally about content marketing, whatever else, when it's that like one additional thing that you have to do on top of other things already to work, it becomes that sort of side back burner thing that never maybe quite gets done. And it's especially hard to do if it doesn't have a really clear ROI. So if it's not like, oh, we can experiment with this for two months and we'll see results. That part is hard. We, it's one of those things you like, you, you survey people like, oh, if we had audio recordings of our blog posts, would you listen to them? And like, oh yeah, sure. I would. Of course, nobody actually does. So some of those things are challenging too. Like that was an experiment that you could run. But we had the same thing back doing when I was editing encyclopedia is where we had teachers that requested for students that they wanted the audio version. That was probably for students that maybe were struggling with reading that they could follow along. Again, like in that case, it was a little more clear ROI because that was kind of like people like a RFP where it was like, do you have audio versions of your text content and fit in? Not audio, but similar would be um, with Workshop, we have a community that we basically started called Digital RBA that's basically a Slack community. No particular and just like we set up this community. It has hundreds of people in it. No real way to monetize it. And I remember shortly before my last day there, it was like somebody who had joined three years before, like asked, a, like a basically became a lead. And it was like, okay, so three years into this project with no, all of a sudden you have a lead, but it's like, how do you measure that? as yeah. like awareness. Um, I mean, you don't, I, I would say the thing that I would encourage, m- maybe it's like, if you're starting a business, you, you need some real traction, but to maintain that 20 or 30% of what you do to really not have any way to account for it, because that's going to give you that flexibility to kind of develop your own brand and tone and not get you sucked down the rabbit hole of pure performance marketing and pure performance content marketing that will tend to lead you into a lot of like dull copycat sort of content that's not going to be good for you long term. But yeah, it also depends on buy-in, right? Like if you're, it's great if you're a solopreneur and like you, you are the CEO and the board and everything else, like if you believe in it and you can stick with it for a year 
and, and do it and, and kind of learn as you go. Great. That's a harder thing if you're coming in like, oh, you're the first marketing hire. You're wearing a lot of hats. You've got somebody who has like VC people breathing down their back and you want to do a podcast instead of keyword targeting blog posts. That's a much harder yeah. sell. It may not be the wrong sell, but it's a much harder sell. Can you talk about what that community was about and how it supplemented the business or is that uh, for work, digital workshop or is that? Yeah, yeah. It was literally sort of like it was uh, called Digital RVA. So it was in Richmond. So Richmond, Virginia is abbreviated RVA. But it was basically like, hey, here's a community for people. Like we had in-person events at workshop and there was a Slack group. And it was never like it was under the, the, the broad umbrella of like brand awareness and other things. But it was mostly just participating, serving community, being like, hey, here's a place for people to chat and hang out. There wasn't one before in the city. So it's like there, there was interest in that. You know, people like for professional development, for their own networking. Obviously, long term, you do it because you think there's going to be some marketing benefit. But people also, it's like, oh, if the heads of marketing of all the other big companies in Richmond are here, like I would also like to be here because we probably have some products that we can sell one another. It's like a classic small business content thing where it's like ebbs and flows of events and everything else. And, and it was maybe that's the other thing worth communicating to anybody starting out is that, and you know, this too, like the ebb and flow is real. Like the learning on the fly is real. The occasional event that gets crickets is real. Like that, that stuff's part of it. And usually the people who went out are the people that stick with it long enough to see those returns that come after six, 12, 18, 24 months or longer. Yeah. I know I bring, I asked, I run a bunch of communities here again, locally, but also online. And I think in the space, uh, at least for the listener that's here today, somebody who's coming out of WordPress or even no code online, I see a lot of businesses and, and Castos where I work. Like I'm trying, I'm trying to get a community off the ground as hilarious as that is mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's so difficult and sometimes unnecessary for some businesses, right? But I think more particularly in the WordPress space, because one of the great things about the open source side of WordPress is the community. And we have things mm-hmm. called WordCamps and WordPress meetups and all of this stuff that a lot of businesses and agencies and freelancers, they're, they're all in content creators <laughs> are all trying to always create their own little community. And there's a lot of popular or successful communities in the space, post status, agency mavericks, there's a bunch of people that do these little micro communities, but it's so damn challenging to, yeah. and I think a lot of people don't realize how challenging it is to funnel your blog readers, podcast listeners, YouTube viewers to get into something like a Slack group or a circle yeah. group and then keep it going. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, you have to get people in and keep it going. That's the challenge. So yeah, we had a great one at, at CXL with a Facebook group that had like 10,000 people in it. And, and Pep would tell you he spent, I forget how many hours every day for a year nurturing that thing, like just going in, like answering comments, and everything else. And, and ultimately, like it got enough that critical mass of other people who would come in, like other experts who would come in and answer people's questions that it, it became kind of like, oh, if you're an entry level person, it's great because you can come in and you get these really seasoned people to come in and answer questions for you. But then at some point, we when I was there, they tried to basically create one that was off Facebook for various reasons, like somewhere where you actually own it, somewhere where you can have a little more flexibility with what it is uh, and how you work things. And it was like starting from scratch again. It was like convincing people to, to move, to spend, to have to log into one more thing versus maybe Facebook is easier because it's already there. It's There's no answer. I'm part of Jimmy Daly started a Slack group. Jimmy Daly he, of Animals and now Superpath, which sort of like helps place people for content marketing jobs. But he started a Slack group and, and that thing is now like 2,000 something people strong. But it's, it's done really well, partly because there was just no pre-existing space for that. So it's it's probably tougher in those spaces like WordPress, where again, like you said, it's like it's been a community forever. 
lots of active groups, unless you have that idea for something where it's like, oh, this group that doesn't really have its home to have its thing. Like you're asking people, I can, I'm like, I, I keep up with Twitter. Like I don't keep up with LinkedIn. Like I keep up with Jimmy Day's Slack, Slack group. Like that's it. Like I'm, I'm tapped out. Like that's, that's all I can do. I'm sure I'm, I'm not the only one feeling like it's one more group to join is not, a, yeah. is not an exciting offer. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk about a, a little bit about your your thoughts, your gut feeling of making this transition to Shopify? It sounds like this is going to be a new challenge for you. I'm kind of interested to hear how you're approaching it as much as you want to share. I know when I joined Castos, I was podcasting already for eight, nine years. I already knew the product. I knew the founder, but even going into it, I was like, okay, like this is going to be like a new challenge for me. And that imposter syndrome kicks in a little mm-hmm. bit. Like, do you really know anything about podcasting? <laughs> like, I yeah. think I do. When you get in front of everybody in the room and it's a new room, you have that doubt, you have that fear. You have any of that going on inside you right now joining uh, Shopify? Oh, sure. Sure. It's a ever, ever present. Useful if you keep it in check. It's a self-criticism and self-doubt as a superpower. But it's it's a, a different. There was nothing. I didn't leave workshop because I was upset or things weren't going well. It was one of those where it's like, gosh, like, I just couldn't turn it down as far as an opportunity. But it's, it's an interesting, some of the interesting things as far as where it's different are one, it's certainly operating at a different scale. Even at CXL, like we knew that success was ultimately getting 80 something posts out the door a year, but there was still that opportunity to celebrate individual posts as having a real impact, individual sort of things mattering. And then you, the scale at a, at a company like Shopify, it's just not going to be true. Like there's so many things to be happy about, but you're solving problems on a much bigger level. The, the exciting parts are being able to work on content with the support of not your know, 6L, I was content and I was SEO. But Shopify, it's like I'm content and there's an SEO team. And some yeah. members of the SEO team support the content team specifically. They're data scientists, developers, designers. Some of the things that can feel like maybe a ceiling in the small business sense. Certainly when you get in that mix of, a 6L is that challenging mix of like still a small business, but also trying to scale that kind of thing where like it makes sense for them to take over the world from an organic search perspective. Like if we could rank for everything data-driven marketing, like great, that's going to be beneficial and make money for us. But we're a very small bootstrap company competing against the HubSpots and, and Shopify's of the world. So you do run into those feelings where it's like, gosh, if we had like some developers or, or data scientists to help us like build dashboards or make decisions or build research projects or whatever it is. That's one of the exciting things of being able to kind of see how far content can go. As someone who came from originally from working on encyclopedias, I've always appreciated the potential of content marketing to become authoritative sources of things. Often it's under-resourced to do that. Sometimes you get the talent and the expertise providing the information, but you don't have the like the, the design around that to make it feel that same way, um, or you don't have the capacity to update things or to remove copy little copy editing things that just like devalue things. So that's some of the excitement is being able to put all that stuff together and seeing like, okay, can we really do this? Like, can content marketing, even though at the end of the day it monetizes content in a different way, like everybody's monetizing content somehow. Like encyclopedias, you've got to sell copies of the encyclopedia content marketing, you've got to be able to use that content to, to help grow a business. But to see if there's maybe a chance to get it closer to what that kind of aspirational vision is. Shopify in particular, one of the unique sort of benefits for me thinking about it is that they kind of have a really, the opportunity to have a really clean editorial perspective where they can talk about entrepreneurship and trying to grow businesses and they don't really have to take an angle that's somewhat disingenuous to promote themselves. It just, they can do it cleanly and it works in a way for some other companies where it's like, if you're an analytics platform and you're talking about how to measure something, you're not going to talk about how to measure something in a way that your platform doesn't do very well. So you sort of like, you kind of have to like work around it, which which often happens in content marketing where those become those little liabilities of like everything where we can't be quite as straightforward or as honest as we want to be. So that's one of the things I think is 
helpful in those scenarios. And even if you're thinking about it as a, as a small business owner or whatever else, as far as choosing topics, wherever you can be completely transparent, is great. Like at workshop, it made, it would make no sense for us to publish an article on how to choose a digital marketing agency or like, it's like, come on, you're going to choose it, choose the aspects that reflect how your agency is run and not the ones of how it's not. So it's like, but if you can get that one degree removed, then all of a sudden you become a lot more authoritative. I mean, that's certainly something that I would encourage. We thought about CXL, like we were great at reviewing analytics platforms. We didn't sell analytics platforms. We didn't do anything affiliate. We didn't get any kind of cuts or anything. So like we could sit there and say, here's platform A, here's platform B, here's the business case for each pros, cons, authoritative. We know the space because we're doing this stuff all the time. So you can trust us, but we have no financial stake in it. So it's like, if you can find those kind of things, those tend to be great out- outlets for it. And again, like Shopify as a company for what they want to do in content marketing, what they do as a business, they're set up pretty well to be, to have that really honest, transparent editorial perspective in a way that if they sold something else, maybe they wouldn't be able to do that. So the listener is going to be primarily a WordPress user. Have you enjoyed using WordPress up until this point as a as a content management tool for all the stuff that you've done? Or is there a different platform that you like? And you can't say yeah, Shopify. So- it's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. No, I, I, that's WordPress was the first and primary platform that I've used for a long, long time. I, I had my issues with Gutenberg when it first uh, came out as far as a content marketer and kind of dealing with that. And in general, like whenever there's that sort of like layer of like artifice or UI kind of over what's actually happening, I would rather just be looking at HTML and like just dealing with it that way sometimes is frustrating. I think from an SEO perspective, I historically WordPress has always been a great choice, always has worked really well compared to some of the other CMSs out there, especially historically like Wix and some of those other ones, Squarespace. I don't know if that's still true as much, but historically it's always been like the safest bet if, if you were to give me a choice of like what search engines understand and are happy with WordPress has been it. I think the biggest temptation with WordPress, it isn't unique to WordPress, but is that setup of pages and posts. And as soon as you walk in the door to your new website, you're immediately thinking like, oh, I got to start a blog because it already exists and I already have a page for it. And for so many companies, especially like people starting out, a blog makes zero sense. You don't need to be thinking like, how do I publish something every week? Uh, it just doesn't make sense. Like it's, it's expensive. Basically, every connotation with blogs is negative, right? It's like, not authoritative, not well-designed, rando publishing thoughts. like, And it locks you in, in a lot of ways, to a certain type of content that you're not well-suited for, that's expensive to produce, that gives you a lot of stress, and that doesn't necessarily have the return on investment. So if there'd be one thing that I would sort of like tell WordPress users, one, like, yeah, it's a great platform, works great for, for search engine optimization, so you're in great shape there as far as if you're trying to sell a product. And I love how easy it is to manipulate URL structures and that kind of thing on there and parent child pages that are really intuitive to set up. But maybe to take like a second look and before you just like start using the post, like if that section didn't exist, would you create it? Would that be the outcome of your thought of like what you wanted to do? And I think in most cases, the answer is, is probably no. Like even at workshop, we were, we had a very specific, trying to develop a very specific use case for our blog, which was like pushing out highly opinionated things. But elsewhere in normal pages, we were publishing things where we thought more about sort of comprehensive resources, guides, research projects, that kind of stuff. Cause that just becomes, it, it does like, it'll, it'll suck you in as a cadence and it'll suck you in as like, oh my gosh, we haven't published anything on the blog for like three months or like, oh, we should publish this because just three weeks ago, we published a similar thing when in reality, no, almost nobody's consuming your blog that way. They're all finding it probably through search or through an email. Nobody knows how often you publish one. Nobody knows what you published three weeks ago, but they become these things that influence our decisions often in a bad way when it comes to sort of strategic cho- choices and kind of push us away from things that otherwise might be most beneficial. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I have never, having used it for so long, I've never looked at it that way, but I can definitely see the fear, again, thinking about the the small businesses that that I talk to a lot around this area, 
that's the first thing <laughs> that is the first thing that they say is like what, what like not it's just what do i do post pages like which one am i supposed to do but yeah i can i can absolutely see somebody having that sort of weight that cognitive load going god i gotta do another post because it's just staring at me i need to get it there that's fantastic that's great feedback Derek gleason joining the evil empire in just a couple weeks at <laughs> shopify <laughs> thanks for hanging out today and talking about content marketing uh excited to see where you're gonna what you're gonna do at shopify excited to see you in that e-commerce space where else can folks go to say thanks for doing i'm on twitter that's, that's like i said about all i can keep up with so it's a it's a pretty efficient twitter feed so if you sign up and i haven't tweeted anything for a couple weeks because i haven't thought of anything smart in a while but hopefully every <laughs> every so often i get something to drop in there it's not too hard right it's like couple hundred characters, but sometimes it seems overwhelming still. And that's Derek underscore Gleason, correct? That's it. Awesome stuff. Everybody else is Mariport.com, Mariport.com slash subscribe. Join that mailing list. Want that five minute WordPress news? Don't forget to check out the other podcast, the WPMinute.com. All right. We'll see you in the next episode. If you like what you heard today, don't forget to thank our premier sponsor, Food Gallery. Check them out at food.gallery. Check out their new WooCommerce integration for selling photos with Food Gallery. If you want to support the show and you want to support WordPress news every week, go to buymeacoffee.com slash mattreport, buymeacoffee.com slash mattreport. Join the membership. Join our Discord. Take part in the conversation around WordPress news. Buymeacoffee.com slash mattreport. Thanks to Food Gallery for supporting the show.